0: Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. This, this is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app.
1: Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. We are joined now by Seattle Times Ryan Divish on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Ryan, how you doing today, man? I'm good, I'm good. Hanging out. Good, man. Good to hear from him. I feel like it's been a while, dude. It's been a while. We finally got some um, some stuff to talk about, man. I, I saw this trade go down and I'm, I'm looking at um, Jorge, what he brings to the table. Back in like December, it, it felt like the Twins were trying to move him Then in. in November. Um, obviously, they got a lot of talent with the Twins. They want to get rid of the 30-year-old. Um, what do you think about the trade? Is there a winner in this trade or do you feel like both teams got what they needed? Yeah, I don't know
2: if there's really a winner. I mean, like you know, I know it goes against what people think on Twitter about having a winner and a loser, but really the, both teams are just trying to, you know, you're trying to make a trade that both teams benefit from. Um, you know, Polanco's a name that uh, I know we kind of discussed and thought was a fit um, from the very beginning, just because the Twins do have, like, a ton of infielders. Uh, younger infielders, they're in the similar spot as the Mariners, too. Like, they're trying to reduce payroll. I mean, the Mariners aren't really reducing payroll. They're just kind of, you know, reconfiguring it. But the Twins had to reduce their payroll by about 20% because they don't have a TV deal right now. So, I mean, like, everybody kind of knew that Polanco was going to be a guy traded, and the Mariners obviously kind of liked him. It was just, I think for a while there, was waiting to find a fit, and I think the the Mariners were trying to figure out how some of the other stuff on their roster works out. Like adding Polanco is a little bit of a luxury piece in the sense that they needed outfielders. They had to address that. They needed to address some of the other positions, maybe primary first. Like if, if, if they couldn't have got this done and they had to go to the season with Dylan Moore and Josh Rojas as their as their platoon at, at second base, they would have done that. They'd have been comfortable. They might not have loved it, but they could have done that. But like, once they got all this other stuff taken place, you know, you get Haniger, you get Mitch Garver, you do all these other things to fill out your other roster spots. Luke Rayleigh, then you can go and say, okay, well, we still have some money, we still have some prospects we can move, and Jorge Polanco is still out there. He fits us nice, so let's go get him. I mean, that's and I think that's kind of where they were at. I know they they had contacted him early in the year, and then just they were just kind of waiting to see how it all would fit.
0: So, Ryan, uh, with the money the Mariners uh, used to trade De Sclafani to Minnesota and they got back in Polanco, it comes out kind of even. I know the Mariners chipped in a little bit more. So how much more flexibility do they have to make some moves prior to the season getting here? I know, obviously, pitchers and catchers report in a couple of weeks, but it, are they in a position to make more moves, or are they kind of set right now before they get to Peoria?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm trying I'm actually trying to figure that out like, you know, kind of a follow-up trade story on just where they're at and everything. I don't think that they're I don't think that they're tapped out, but I don't know that like they're going to go and get spend, you know, eight six, seven million million dollars on a guy this season. Maybe there's a guy out there, but I I don't know that, that that's what they want to do. They still want to have some you know, like if your if your payroll budget is 145 million, which is kind of what we assumed it would be 145 148 million. Um, if you have that much, you don't you don't tap it all out. You don't go up to the, you know, you don't spend like you were as a kid. You know, if your mom gave you five bucks, you went to the store, you spent all five bucks right away. You know, you, these guys have to save a little bit if they're gonna make a trade. That you know, like if they got to call some guys up that changes their their budgeting a little bit. So. You know, I think that they're going to try and keep, you know, some wiggle room, some financial wiggle room. In case something were to happen, like, you know, God forbid, like a starter, a starting pitcher goes down and they don't feel comfortable with Emerson Hancock, then maybe they they go out and they trade for more of an established guy. Similar to what happened with Carlos, you know, when, when Ty France got hurt a few years ago, they had to go out and get Carlos Santana. You want to have some payroll built in, some payroll budget flexibility built in that if you have to make an emergency move and it does increase money wise, you can do that. And so I think, you know, I, I don't know that there's a guy out there that fits where they're say, oh Yeah. We can give him an extra eight or 9 million a year uh, and, and really cap it out. I think they're going to kind of, you know, if any moves they make, it would be via trade, I think, or minor free agent signings. I don't think it's any anything big.
1: Ryan, I had to um, look at some notes and realize that the Mariners have been making some moves, right? Uh, uh, they've try- they've been trying to improve this team. Is there a move you still think needs to be made? Is there a position that needs to be addressed? Or do you feel like for the most part um, they're set?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, I don't love their third base situation. I think they'll kind of run a platoon with Josh Rojas and, and uh, Luis Urias there. I don't love that. You know, I I think their base is a position where you'd like to have a guy that's there every day, you know, more of a power threat. Um, But like, I don't also think that there is, you know, I don't think that they're going to go out and get Matt Chapman for, you know, 17 million a year, 15 million or whatever he's going to get us. I don't think they're going to do that. You know, they should if they had the money, but like, you know, they're working within the confines of what the budget is. Um, So, I don't know. I mean, you could go out and add a reliever, or maybe another starter depth wise, but you know, cause you are talking about some pitchers that are, were ran hard. That's like the thing with Topa. Everybody's like, Oh, you're giving up Justin Topa. He was really good last year. Justin Topa threw more in one season than he had probably in his big league career, you know, and this is a guy that had two Tommy John surgery. So you're wondering, you know, when you run a guy that hard, what's going to happen the next year, but you do you wouldn't mind maybe getting more of a veteran piece to help offset that. But the Mariners are also really good at like finding you know guys off the of scrap heap and turning them into something. You know, Justin Topel was a the guy they got for another minor leaguer. You know, Gabe Spire was a waivers claim. Those guys they seem to find at least one of those guys every year. So you know they've got a bunch of uh, minor or bunch of relievers a minor league deals coming to big league camp that have uh major league experience. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw one of those guys emerge uh and and become a valuable reliever in their bullpen, if not maybe two. You know, like everybody thought last year that like the bullpen was so set from the year before, then we look and all the pieces are different. You know, Munoz wasn't as big of a contributor last year as everybody expected. He he was at the end, but like, you know, the names in the bullpen the bullpen relievers are just so Unpredictable. I think the Mariners have figured out a way to kind of offset that.
0: Ryan, yesterday when all the trade winds were swirling, there were names across the league that were being thrown out as possibilities for the Mariners to have interest in, one of them being White Sox starter Dylan Cease, who has not been moved, and I think a couple of teams may have backed off on, on their interest in him. Is he a name that you think remains on the Mariners' radar, or is that just kind of out of nowhere, out of left field?
2: It was out of left field. I think they checked in on him. You know, Cease is really talented. And I, I think the thing with him is like, if, if the Mariners had to have given up, like, um, you know, if they're giving up Brian Lewis or Bryce Miller to get the hitter that they wanted, get another hitter, then maybe that's a, an avenue they had to take, you know, that they'd have to go after Cease. You know, we're talking about signing Blake Snell, but when it sounds like that, they aren't going down, they wouldn't have gone down that path. So I think that that's, where they were at and maybe you know it's not like they don't have they don't listen to calls every day maybe there is that trade coming down the road where like okay yeah you know we'll give up Bryce Miller for some for a bat or Brian Wu for a bat you know that really puts them over the top and we still have a way to trade for Dylan Cease at the same time maybe it's a 3 team trade I don't know but I, I wouldn't rule it out but I don't think it's a priority right now you know it's funny yesterday they all the the trade speculation was coming down, you know, the the eyes on Twitter. Like, we we had a pretty, you know, I had a pretty good idea that something was going to happen yesterday. I, I couldn't really put my finger on it. Polanco was a, a name we'd heard, and we kind of, I tried to, you know, sniff around to get it, but at the same point, like, you know, the Mariners are very cagey and they're very quiet. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to sit there and, and spend a lot of time doing that. You know,
1: <laughs> we're speaking to Ryan Davis of the Seattle times, Ryan. Um, now Polanco's has a, a history of injuries, but how concerning is that? Is it a concern at all? We heard Hollander say like, look, man, we, we've checked him out. We believe in his, uh, his recovery and, and his training. We're good to go. What are your thoughts on that situation?
2: Well, I think, you know, some of them are like soft tissue injuries. Like last year, that's a soft tissue. It's a left hamstring. It was twice. Also though, I don't think that like the twins were like real motivated. You know, it wasn't an impetus for him to get back all the way or whatever. They had Edward Julian. They they could play him at second base. So I kind of look at it as like, okay, well, you know, they, they, they didn't have to, but yeah, that's an injury concern. Soft tissue hamstrings, you know, you don't want that to linger. That's what Luis Urias knocked him out last year. So it's been an issue each of the last few years. Like if you look at it, the main pieces that they acquired this year, that they went out and got Mitch Garver, Mitch Hanniger, Jorge Polanco. You know they have been racked by injuries the last two and three seasons. You know Hanigers are more of a fluke. He's aren't the soft tissue. He somehow gets a forearm break. You know Garver's had. Knee and back and everything else, and I think it's the wear and tear from catcher. And Polanco's had his own injury, so yeah, that's the biggest concern. Like, if somehow they get Mitch Garver, Mitch Haniger, and Jorge Polanco to each play in like 130 games, if they get 550 plate appearances each, I mean that's that would be huge for them, and it would exceed probably the expectations of the projections that we're seeing as well. You know, like because you know that's just not. It doesn't seem feasible that it will happen, but if they were somehow get that or some combination where these guys get 550 to 600 plate appearances, that that would be huge. It would be a win, and I think you would see the production numbers creep up because what we've seen from these guys when they're actually on the field, they're contributors. It's just been that they haven't been able to stay on the field. But I, I think you're know, you going to see some of these guys get dinged up, maybe in an IL stint here or there. You just you just hope that for them, they hope that it's not going to be the one where they missed two months. You know, it's, it's something here or there. Ryan, we're
0: here on January 30th and Bryce Miller and Brian, we are still members of the Mariners. If I had told you that at the beginning of the off season, what would your level of surprise have been about that?
2: You know, Adam Jude and I have a podcast and we sit there and argue about that. And for a while there, I thought they were going to trade Luis. You know, he'd convinced me that trading Luis Castillo is a possibility. Um, I think it's I'm pretty stunned they were able to do what they were able to do while getting back, like while keeping Bryce and Brian, you know, I didn't think there'd be somebody willing to take on Robbie Ray's contract given the nature of his injury, that he isn't going to contribute till August and he could opt out, you know, I just, some of the things that they were able to do and kind of maneuver. And Yeah. You had to just basically, you know, give away Jared Kelnick to get salary relief, but to do what they've done and kind of manipulate it. it it's pretty surprising. It, it's some of probably write about. It. it reminds me a lot of when Jerry DePoto was hired right before the 2016 season, like they had that veteran team with Cano Cruz, everybody on there. And they basically said to DePoto, Hey, like, look, we want you to try and compete. You gotta use all these guys and we're not gonna give you any money to do it. And so that year, you know, he went out and traded for Leonis Martin and made a bunch of different moves around to try and piece it all together. Basically, getting you know cash neutral trades, giving up some prospects, stuff like that. I mean, that's what it reminds me a lot. This year, the the roster looks a lot different. It's a little bit deeper. You know, it's not like it's overwhelming, but like it isn't static. Like they basically had two choices. Either you pretty much try and run it back with what you had last year and hope a lot of these guys don't continue to regress. Or you get kind of creative and you you move some guys, move some contracts out. You lose Jared. You lose Suarez, who's a big clubhouse presence. But did you get better? I mean, like I don't know what they got significantly better. But I look at the team and it has, a, I think, a greater potential to be better just because there's more positions that are a little bit better than they were before. Yeah, now if Jared goes out and hits 30 some homers for the Braves, then you're gonna they'll probably regret it. But. There was no guarantee that was going to happen. If you look at his numbers when we saw in the second half, that wasn't the case. And Suarez as well. So I'm pretty impressed with what they were able to do, all things considered, with the limitations they were working with.
1: Ryan, last one I got for you. Kind of going back a little bit, haven't spoken to you in a while. Um, the season ended and we got some um, candid responses from Seawall and Cal Raleigh and now Jared Kellnick when it comes to this describing the Mariners in, in that situation over there. Uh, what does that tell you and us just about the culture of the Mariners and, and where they are today?
2: I think it's it, it funny, you know, we talked about how we haven't spoken in a while. I think Curtis messaged me about coming on the one day and the next day Pete Carroll got yeah. fired and left, you know, and that was Kind of like I remember getting text, hey, we can't bring you on today. I was like, yeah, I can't imagine why. (laughs) Yeah, talk about Mitch Haniger or Pete Carroll. Um, (laughs) No, uh, I think what we're seeing is that players now, and I I mean, Bump, I know you know this now as well, being a former athlete. I mean, I I think I covered you at WSU. I'm so old. But, like, they – players speak more than they ever have before. They are not afraid to speak out. They're not afraid to speak their mind. And I think part of that is the culture within the Mariners. There's ownership of that team and guys like, if you recall Marco and JP and Mitch Haniger before they came out and said, Hey, this isn't good enough. You know, like Mitch and Marco were always talking about, we're not afraid to talk about the drought. We own it. We, you know, we, we will wear it. We wear the jerseys like we're, we'll be the ones to break it. And so that ownership, like they broke it. Now they have a little bit more power they feel like they can speak out. Like I, I think it's great, you know, but it's a, it comes from a different place with Cal. It comes from the idea of like, Hey, I want to get better. This needs to get better. The team needs to get better. Cause I want to win here with Jared. I think there is a lot of resentment with, with how he was handled. And the Mariners, I don't think handled him, his situation very well all the way around at times, you know, there was some immaturity on Jared's side. I think his previous agent wasn't very good at a lot of stuff, but at the same time, the Mariners didn't do him any favors either. With how they did things, they hyped him up, you know, they, they bought him at leadoff when they called him up, you know, they, they talked about all this patience with him and he played six games of triple a in a weird season where the minor league season was delayed and they called him up and except, expected him to be the savior and hyped it all up. Like they didn't help that guy have success. So I, I think there were a lot of. I think both sides are to blame in the Jared situation, but he's a kid, and I think he he was resent. He's resentful to how he was treated, and you know some people hold grudges a little bit longer. And I don't. I'm not surprised.
1: Good stuff, man. He is Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times, man. We appreciate you, and uh, it's that time of the year, man. Let, let's lock in.
2: Yeah, yeah. It feels like the offseason's gone by pretty fast, but you know you know being in montana most of the off season i'll be ready for uh some warm weather and spring training
1: <laughs> all right man talk to you thanks soon. ryan
2: yeah see you guys
1: he's in montana he said warm weather he'll take 50 something right now all yeah day, huh?
0: it's unseasonably warm around yeah, here. yeah
1: right it's, it's weird it's weird man yeah. The 89th Sports Star of the Year Awards are coming up February 15. KJ Wright is this year's host and Seattle Sports will be there as well to celebrate the biggest sports stories of athletes in 2023. Find tickets and info at seattlesports.com/events headline rewrites.
0: Extra extra read all about it. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson has pulled himself out of the running for the Seahawks and Commanders head coaching jobs. What's the real headline? Real headline. I wonder how that interview he had yesterday with Seattle went because uh, (laughs) less than 24 hours later, he's like, you know what? I'm good. Hey, I don't need it. He collected the data. Went back to wifey, went back to Dan
1: Campbell and said, let's run this thing back. I think, it, I think it speaks more to what he thinks of the Lions situation than Seattle. He's got a lot of weapons over there. Um, disappointed, but I understand.
0: Yeah. It throws a big wrench into what the Seahawks are going to do in their coaching search. We've kind of zeroed in on Mike McDaniel or Mike McDonald, not Mike McDaniel, Mike <laughs> McDonald and Dan Quinn. Now there are other names kind of out there, kind of on the, on the, outside of the search. Mm-hmm. Mike Kafka, I think Dan Graziano of ESPN, threw his name out there as a potential for the Seahawks. Uh, we had Connor Oron who had mentioned as Avero Averro as another name maybe to keep an eye on. Uh, but it seems to me like, why would the Seahawks have waited all this time in order to get an interview in with Mike McDonald if he wasn't like front and center of right. their search? I yeah. uh, I would, that, that's my hope. Um, I don't know about you, but like McDonald's, my guy,
1: 15, page 15. <laughs> headline.
0: headline. Rewrites. The Falcons have named Jimmy Lake as their new defensive coordinator. What's the real headline? Real headline. I didn't know the NFC South was the most academically prowessed division in the <laughs> NFL. Hey, you know, uh, they have some good universities in Georgia. We mentioned
1: Georgia tech. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned who Tulane and, and in New Orleans area
0: you know, down in there in the South, the Florida area. I know Miami, like that's not Tampa, Tampa. I can't imagine is like this <laughs> super, you know, educated city, Tampa is where Florida man originates. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of Natty like getting drank uh, out in, in Tampa, Carolina. That's like Duke, yeah. North Carolina, yeah. wake forest, tobacco road. So yeah, I th- there's some smart, <laughs> there's some smart schools in, in the NFC South area, uh, but yeah, Jimmy Lake one of the most unforgettable year and a half runs I've ever seen from a coach and not, not in a good way. No, uh, every, every week it was something with that guy and it all ended uh, in the Oregon game. He never did coach in an apple. Cup. Mm-hmm. Him and Rolovich never coached against Damn, each other in an apple. That's Cup. crazy.
1: Yeah. So, you know, um... Maybe the NFL is a better fit for for Jimmy Lake. He's had his run in college football as coordinator and position coach, and sometimes it's um, it's better to move on. So good luck to Jimmy down there. I know you dog fans out there probably don't feel the same, but I got nothing against Jimmy. Good Keep luck, your
0: players, Jimmy. <laughs> Keep your hands off the players, Jimmy. Keep your hands <laughs> off the players. Headline. DK Metcalf, Geno Smith, and Nick Ballore have been named to the Pro Bowl as injury replacements. What's the real headline? Real headline. Put Ballore in the best catch competition. Let's see it. I want to see him bouncing off trampolines, making one-handed grabs.
1: They should always put like a wild card in the competitions (sighs) that they shouldn't be in. And I don't know what they do for the lineman, like a sled push or something. I think I saw. I don't know so, something. Yeah. Like put a little guy in put a big punter. guy event, and put a big guy in a little guy event, and then yeah, throw the the kicking team out there as well, and, and make things interesting. Now, I liked the new format for the Pro yeah. Bowl games last year. It was cool.
0: Yeah, they got the flag football game. They've got dodgeball. I think it's yeah. part of the events. A uh, tug of war now is, is a new event that they've had the is always fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like going to a family reunion or a field day <laughs> at, at your elementary school or something we, like that.
1: You know what the best one is though. It's the longest drive, baby. That's right. They have that now. Uh-huh. I want to see these guys. I mean, it's amazing. Some of these guys swings are ugly as heck, but they're so athletic. <laughs> they just connect with that golf ball, man. And it is gone. <laughs> All right, you're listening to the Bump and Stacey show with Curtis Rogers filling in. When we come back, we'll hit some NFL headlines, man. We're going to know, well, we know what the teams are wearing during the Super Bowl. You got Thibodeau with a hot take, and then uh, Brandon Staley, he's back on the market. He might have a home that's next here on the Bump and Stacey show.
0: Bumpin' Stacy,
2: powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle
0: Sports Station. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross.
1: Time for NFL headlines. Reminder: Curtis Rogers in for Stacy Ross today. Let's get right into it, man. Uh, we got the matchup, the jersey matchup. The Chiefs will be. This wearing... This is the most important. This is matchup. right. I mean, it's all about how you feel, right? Right. If, if you look good, you play good. If you play good, they pay good. They pay good. Big ups to Dion. Ah, uh, the Chiefs will wear their home red jerseys, and the Niners will be in white. It's almost like the same jersey, just change yeah. the pants.
0: Yes, because the Forty ers wear gold pants, yeah. and the Chiefs wear red pants. Um, I think this is the best uh, that this matchup could look. I think the Forty ers white jerseys are actually really clean. Yeah, um, and the Chiefs have a very classic look. Mm-hmm. This is the exact uniform matchup that they had when they first met in the Super Bowl back in 2019. So uh, if you're looking at tape of that game, that's what it's going to be this time around too. Yeah. You're
1: going to be confused. You got to look for Jimmy G. Jimmy G will let you yeah. know when this game was played or not. Yeah, if the field he's a
0: quarterback, not? that's 2019. <laughs> if it's Brock Purdy, it's 2023.
1: These two teams are one of the few franchises that cannot change their uniforms. Right. You can't cha- You can't tweak it. You can't do nothing yeah. to those uniforms. You got to stick with the, with the old schools.
0: Yes. 1,000%. Um, and Especially because the Chiefs have won so much lately. Like yeah. You can't mess with a good thing. Can't like That's why... The Patriots had their jerseys during the, the same jerseys during their entire Super Bowl run where they went to like, what, nine or 10 with Brady and Belichick. Uh, and then like the second Brady was gone, they switched their uniforms up mm-hmm. to what they are now. And it just doesn't have, it, they just don't have the same magic. Who's the hall of famer who played for the Niners and the oh, Chiefs? Joe Montana. Too easy for Curtis. Yeah. What
1: am I, what am I thinking? Too easy for my too man, easy. Curtis. Too man, small. Too Too, small. too easy. All right, man, let's uh, we got some more news. Kayvon Thibodeau was on Carmo Anthony's podcast, and he shared why he thinks Saquon Barkley should have gotten paid for Daniel Jones. Cut 11.
2: You paid Daniel Jones $40 and it, it was a great... I, I, me, I believe. A lot Daniel of people was mad at that. Okay. A lot of people was mad at that, but I was like, let me,
1: let me tell you what I'm mad at, and is the only thing I'll say about that. What I'm mad about is that Saquon, because if you look at the game, the tape, Saquon was responsible for at least... 30% of our explosive plays. Oh, yeah. not more. Talking about the year we won the playoff game. So for me and for the integrity of, you know, working together and hard work and we all believe the same things, I feel like Saquon should have got paid first. Uh Kayvon, that's too logical. Yeah. Running backs don't get paid before quarterbacks in this league. All a quarterback has to do is put together a year or two. I know you're new and on the He's going to get Avon. paid $40 million. I'm with you a hundred percent, man, Look. but you just don't know how this league works. Yeah.
0: Look, Saquon Barkley is the New York giants. Like that's, that's all they've got is Saquon. <laughs> um, but quarterbacks, no matter how good they are or how good uh, we think they are, they will get theirs before anybody else gets theirs. That's how every team does it. Like, yep. let's figure out how much we got to pay the quarterback, and then figure out the rest of the roster after that. Never mind the fact that Saquon Barkley is the Giants' very best player right. when he's healthy and, and in the lineup. Like Kayvon, I, I get what you're saying, man, and I get what that probably meant to the Giants' locker room uh, to see Saquon not get that long-term extension that he'd been hoping for. Uh, but look, it's it's running backs. Like they have such a short shelf life now. Yep. Uh, it used to be 30 was that, that line of demarcation in a running back's life. I think it's like 27 now.
1: Yeah, man. Unfortunately you play four years, five years Yeah, they're going to be calling for you. And um, even if Saquon got paid first, he still only got like 10, 11 million dollars. It's not like him being paid first would have pushed him up to 17, 20, man. The most, one of the most valued positions when it comes to playing the game mm-hmm. is one of the most devalued when it comes to too out to pain these guys. Yes. All right. Former Chargers head coach Brandon Staley is interviewing with the Rams for their vacant defensive coordinator spot. Staley was a Rams defensive coordinator under Sean McVay during the 2020 season. Sean McVay is sitting there with his arms out. Like, come on home, man. Yeah. Come on home. We didn't lost more. Think, gone.
0: Yeah. Come on home. I think that's a, a logical move for both sides. Uh, bring in somebody who's very familiar with how that Rams organization is ran. And then Brandon Staley gets a, a nice landing spot. I, I, <sighs> I was kind of surprised that Staley didn't have more success as head coach of the chargers. He got off to a really good start mm-hmm. with the chargers and then they made the playoffs in his second year and everybody's kind of like, okay, but then they collapsed in that wild card game and everything we thought about Brandon Staley right. after that, uh, just thrown out the window. He was snapping at reporters and in post game pressers this year. Uh, I think this would be a very good move for him and a very good move for the Rams, which stinks because they're in the CX division. So any good move made by the Rams Mm -hmm. hurts doubly.
1: One thing I hate about um, the whole Staley situation with him struggling is that his come up was ridiculous. He was
0: like a D3 coach Uh grinds
1: all the way up. It's a great story. He's one of the young uh, coordinators in this league who are going to do some things and it just didn't work out it ain't over for him. If he does what we think he can do with the Rams, he's going to get another opportunity. I just hate when the guy who made something out of nothing doesn't have a lot of success. Yeah, he
0: was a defensive line coach at St. Thomas, which is a Division 3 school, and then John Carroll University in Ohio. That's a D3 school. And then he went straight from John Carroll to being the Bears' outside linebacker coach, which is a pretty impressive leap, and then from there was the Bra- was the Broncos' offensive linebacker or outside linebacker coach, I should say, and then the Rams' defensive coordinator, Chargers' head coach. Very quickly, he made his way up uh, up the coaching ranks.
1: Started from the bottom. Now he's here. <laughs> a day after interviewing him, the Steelers will hire Arthur Smith as their offensive coordinator.
0: That is just the most <laughs> boring. It is man. It hire. sure is the most boring hire. Like if you're the Steelers and you're like, all right, we have a chance to go out and really, you know, energize this offense, get somebody out there, get a new quarterback in here and you go and hire Arthur Smith. That's when the Seahawks hired Brian Schottenheimer as their offensive coordinator. Uh I think that's kind of similarly to how people in Pittsburgh are feeling where it's kind of like, really this guy, like he does not do it for me. And luckily I'm not a Steelers fan, so I don't have to worry about that at at any point, but Arthur Smith, man, just live off your FedEx money,
1: dude. (laughs) The one, the one thing he has going for him is that Tomlin signed off on it. And if there's anything I respect about Tomlin, is just the man he is. So uh, there has to be some good in an Arthur Smith, but um, with the quarterback situation over there, you got two gloves, Kenny. You got Mason Rudolph. Um, there's no real direction that franchise um, is going. So yeah, this one has me scratching my head a little bit. But I'll go ahead and lean on Mike Tomlin and say, all right, all right, bro, you know what you're doing. <laughs> Tom Brady will be calling the Super Bowl next year. He confirmed that today in an interview with Pat McAfee he's the goat. He, he, he could run for president next year yeah. or in four years and be all good. He's Tom
0: Brady. Will I, he be good though? That's the thing. I'm not buying that he'll be good. And I hate to give credit to Greg Olson, but he has been pretty good in the mm. booth uh, for Fox with Kevin Burkhart. Now Greg Olson, whenever he calls the Seahawks game, it's clear he does not like his time in Seattle, but <laughs> I think the feelings yeah. reciprocated. Yeah, for I sure. made that very well known that I did not like his time here in Seattle. Yep. Um. But you know what it's like to call a game. You know what it's like to be on a broadcast in. It, it, it is not something that is just easy for anybody to pick up, especially people who have played the game, especially somebody like Tom Brady, who's played the game for as long as he has, like going from the field to the booth is not as smooth of a transition as I think Fox thinks it'll be for Tom. No,
1: and we've seen guys do it and struggle. The only thing or uh, one of the things that keeps me optimistic about Tom Brady is that you know he's going to prep. He's going to call a bunch of my games. He might go to high school games this year and call those. He's going to be prepared for that moment, but it's all about the flow. What's that flow going to be like, Mm -hmm. man? we'll we'll see, man. That's the big game. Tom Brady and Super Bowl. They didn't say preseason game week one, week two, which he'll probably do those games. But they say, yeah, we've seen enough Super Bowl. Last one. Chiefs and Ravens was the most watched AFC championship game ever. Breaking the previous record set in 2011 when the Steelers beat the Jets. Makes sense, man. You got the kid himself, Pat Mahomes, the 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 best quarterback in the game versus the quarterback who looks nothing, sounds nothing, plays like nothing you've ever yeah. seen before at that position. I understand the intrigue.
0: That's wild to me that it was a Steelers Jets game that had yeah. that previous record. When was that Sanchez? Between, yeah, that was Sanchez against Big Ben. Because between then and now, there was an AFC title game that was Brady versus Manning. Mm-hmm. It was 2015 the Patriots lost to the Broncos. The Broncos then went on to win the Super Bowl against Carolina. That was the final Brady Manning AFC Championship game. I'm stunned that that did not surpass Steelers Jets yeah. from all the way back in 2011. That's nuts. So let, let's Maybe paint a the picture. Maybe it's the New York TV market that was carrying that game. Maybe,
1: right? Because you got. Steelers had all their guys. Palomalu was playing at the time. Ryan Clark was playing. You got Harrison over there. And the Jets, were all. that was that Rex Ryan team with that defense and Mark Sanchez on offense. I mean, at the time, I guess I can understand, but that long before it's been broken, that's interesting, man. All right, more to do when we come back. The Mariners, man, are they betting on themselves to fix this key area? We'll let you know. That's next on the and Stacey
2: Show. Bump and Stacy powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your
1: hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Welcome, Jorge Polanco. We uh, we welcome you with open arms. We're hoping you could uh, tap back in to 2019 when you were an all-star. Hopefully, the hammy is good to go. The knee inflammation isn't there anymore. And uh, we have an everyday guy at second base. But that's no longer your concern, Curtis. We talked about second base third base outfield yeah. a bunch of times, right? But now the the roster is starting to take its shape, right? We, we see the vision when it comes to these infielders and these outfielders, but there's a spot where you feel like the Mariners might be uh, banking on themselves, trying to build
0: from within.
1: Yeah. What am I talking about? What are your concerns?
0: Uh, my biggest, well, not my biggest concern, but I think a concern that has sprouted up over the last 24 hours is seeing what the Mariners gave up in their trade to receive Jorge Polanco, and that is you're giving up another high leverage arm in your bullpen and Justin Topa, and now it's kind of like, well, who do you have outside of Matt Brash and Andre Munoz in terms of proven commodities in your bullpen? Because last year, Bump, you and I and Stacy talked a lot about how the bullpen just wasn't really getting the job done in the mm-hmm. season second half, especially post-trade deadline when Paul Seawald was moved to Arizona. And I get that the Mariners have had a lot of confidence in themselves because they have a, a proven track record of developing bullpen arms. But I wonder, like, have, are they going to that well a little too much mm-hmm. in terms of you know trying to fill out that bullpen? Because there's still proven arms out there in free agency, uh, you know, names that could get you some really good innings out of your bullpen. They're going to cost you a little bit, sure, because that's kind of the price to pay in free agency. But I feel like the Mariners right now just don't have, I think, enough in their bullpen that would make me comfortable at this point. And obviously that can change, and, and obviously we can... We haven't seen these guys throw at all, uh, you know, except for just random, you know, Instagram posts and, and Twitter posts of guys putting in work in the off season, working on different pitches. But I would love to see a little bit more uh, in terms of proven experience out of this bullpen right now.
1: You and I aren't. Too confident at this point of the year mm-hmm. in, in what they have, but it and, ain't about us, and, Curtis. And games aren't played in you January. No, they're not played. Yeah. But you know who is confident? Uh, Depoto's confident that they'll uh, they'll find another guy. Cut number seventeen.
2: In between there, we have a variety of big power arms that we've picked up this off season. Guys like Carlos Vargas. Uh, we we have Perlander Baroa and House Jackson Coar. We've picked up a, a couple of guys on small deals through the course of the winter. That we're excited about, and we've generally done very well in this area. And you know, somewhere among Vargas and Coar and Baroa and Boutry and Cribal, and th- we are we are going to turn up something of a gem. Uh, we've always been able to do that, and I'm very confident in our pitching people and in the arm talent that each of those guys brings to the table.
1: So they've made some moves, they've gotten some guys, mm-hmm. and he says, This is what we do anyway, right? I mean, if there's yeah. anything ask me what I do on a football field, Curtis, put me in that <laughs> slot, baby, and I'm working. DePoto's saying, This is what we do. He's
0: confident. These guys are drawing up, you know, just the most ridiculous concepts for <laughs> seventh and, and seventh round picks and undrafted free agents and, and all those guys where it's like, Yeah, I can I can make that I can turn that guy into a thousand yard receiver. <laughs> I can turn that guy into a, a thousand yard rusher, no right. problem. It's like, really? Like I've seen you do it a couple times, but <laughs> you're going to continue to do that. Like, okay. Like I feel almost foolish for doubting the Mariners and mm-hmm. their ability to churn out bullpen arms. But I also kind of wonder like how often can you go back to this well and continue to draw from it before it dries up? You know, mm-hmm. like, yes, the Mariners have, have sort of cornered the market on, on pitching and, and being able to develop it. But for all that they are doing to to make their bullpen as great as they as it has been over the last few years, you know, the rest of the league is is trying to figure out ways and how they can beat the Mariners' bullpen and how they can uh, counter what it is that the Mariners do. Like for everything the Mariners do to improve themselves, everybody else in baseball is trying to figure out a way to to beat that. and that that doesn't that's not just unique to the Mariners, that's every team. If if a one team is doing something really good, every team's gonna look at that and be mm-hmm. like, how are they doing that? How can we stop that? How can we do it better than what they're doing?
1: Yeah. And you say that, and the first thing I think about are the Astros, how they developed their ball club, and then the Rangers, how they went out mm-hmm. and bought everything that they needed. And uh and now the the Mariners are taking the approach is that we're not necessarily nickel and diming right now, but but we're not spending the big bucks. And they are going to lean on development. And that's something that we've heard for the last few years, right? Mm-hmm. Draft and develop, draft and develop. So uh, now they made some moves and let's see let's see what happens here, man. But um, like, like we talked about, Hollander says, look, most likely we'll look to replace Topa internally, cut number five.
2: Uh, some of both.
0: And I, I definitely do want to take a moment to, to praise Topa on this call. Justin Topa was awesome for us last year. From day one of spring training, he showed up. He was open to coaching. He was open to new ideas, um, worked his butt off to to make sure he stayed on the mound every day uh, and was available to us and got huge outs for us all year long. Tope was great. We'll have to replace that. I think it's most likely it we'll be internally with a possibility, like always, that we could add externally as well.
1: Internally. I'm, I'm tapping into my, to my football mind, right? Mm-hmm. The lions let Williams go. Last year, led the league in rushing touchdowns.
0: Oh yeah, Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams had yeah, like twenty rushing touchdowns. Right? Yeah.
1: Why? Because they're right, like, look, man, we got we got this young guy yeah, over Montgomery here, Montgomery and Gibbs. Right? And we, we should be we should be okay. It turned out to be quite all right. All right. So, have they shown you enough? Now we're not completely confident. Obviously, it's early in the season. We're going to speculate. We're going to do all of that. As it stands right now, who do, who on that roster is going to have to step up for them to have success?
0: Well, I mean, if you're looking at in-house options, I mean, Prelander Barroa has been a name that has been, you know, in the Mariners, like, realm over the last couple of years. They got him for next to nothing from the Giants organization, and all he did in his, like, first minor league season with the Mariners was just strike everybody out. And everybody's kind of like, okay, what do they have here with this guy? He came up, uh, I know, once last year – Walked three guys, had a pretty poor outing. Uh, I think it was his big league debut, actually. Um, and then I think he came up late in the season last year, too, at one point. Um, obviously, that is a name that people have kind of been throwing out there as maybe a guy who could potentially be a, a high-leverage guy one day, kind of following in the same path as Matt Brash, a former starter, turn reliever, strike thrower. Um, but, I mean, I, I look at Justin Topa's career – Prior to being a Seattle Mariner, he had just 18 innings of major league experience before last season. And then he goes out and throws 69 very nice innings for this Mariners team. Uh, Has 75 appearances, has an ERA under three, striking out eight batters per nine innings. Like, that's a guy who came out of nowhere to Mm -hmm. do what he did. And you look at all the names that the Mariners have acquired, like Jackson Coar. Uh, he mentioned Ty Buttery. Uh, you know, there's a couple other names. Austin Voth is, is out there too. That is has signed with the Mariners. Like maybe it's one of those guys that turns into something out of out of nowhere.
1: Hey, draft and develop. Now uh, acquire <laughs> and develop yeah, and then there's, build multiple, from within, right? there's
0: multiple wrinkles. We got, yes. we
1: got angles to this thing, yeah. man. You know, we're going to ask Brandon Gustafson about what he sees in his angle when it comes to this whole trade and who's available. Who's not that's coming up next. We got Curtis Rogers filling in for Stacy. This is the bump of Stacey show.